Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. It's our season review, and I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. I know the season is over, and I know most outlets have smashed out a half-assed season review and then abandoned you for the winter like a penguin abandoning its snow cave to go and hunt for ice badgers. But that's not us. We would never abandon you. To us, you are the ice badger. So today we're covering the odd numbered teams in the Constructors' Championship and talking about how their season went. And then next week we'll do the even numbers because there's no rush. We've got time and we have a plan over the winter for content. Each of our panel is going to bring us a topic over the break and then I'm going to interview them as well about their lives so you can get to know them. There's a lot of panel and they're all really great, even Kyle. So I want you to get to know them all. So they're going to bring you some topics. So, for example, Chris is going to bring a corner names topic to to bring you for Christmas Day. Uncle Steve is going to bring a topic about the history of F1 broadcasting. And there'll be some actually good segments as well. But for now, we're going to do the season review. So let me remind you, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed. With the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Sunday morning commute. Monday morning commute. No, we can't go back in time. Before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong about commuting times, but we're first. And here, sniggering at me, messing up the intro, is Matt Two Rumpets. As if, as if you do good intros on your tech time segments. I do perfectly fine ones, thank you. And although we are bringing you the equivalent of coal in your stocking for Christmas with corner names, which I still maintain are useless. You just want numbers. And my love of numbers has led me to the following. 
0.07, since I know you love a podcast full of numbers. Yeah, no, I love it when you just spew statistics endlessly. It makes it as interesting and fun as tech time. Absolutely. And you're not even going to ask me what that number is, are you? 0.7. I guess I have to now. Hey, Matt, what's the significance of 0.7? That would be the average points per finished race of Logan Sargent. 0.07. Yes. He finished 15 races and scored one point. You can do that one on your calculator. I did round up for significant digits reasons. Okay, that's not very many. We're also joined by Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve is here. How are you going? How's it going, babes? You good? Yeah, I'm good. Now the season's over. There's not a lot to do except sit here and slowly get older. Yeah, which you've been doing very successfully for a long, long time. <laughs> um, yeah, you bet. But next season, you've got two Australians to cheer for. So that is a, that, when is the last time that happened? Because I thought there was a rule. I thought it was like Sith, where when one retired, another one came in. But, you, you know. Uh, um, I don't think it's ever happened before. Oh, yes, it did. Once in about 1974, there were two Australians driving for uh, maybe four or five races. Ah. Well, there you go. And, and, and who knows, uh, Ricardo might last more than four or five races next season. Oh, uh, yeah, well, let's hope so. <laughs> and we're joined now by another hub of F1 Excellence Canada, and we've got Christina Lee Mace joining us. Hey, Christina. Hello. You are represented not at all, actually. I was th- In my head, <laughs> Logan Sargent is Canadian just because he's replaced Latifi, but you do have Stroll. There you go. We do have Stroll, yes. I would love to have more Canadians. I would love to have a Canadian that doesn't right now look like a hockey bro. Because it's... You will have to explain what a hockey bro is to to the non-Canadian audience. It's just a guy who looks like he plays hockey. Hockey men have a very specific aesthetic and look. They have a way that they walk with like the slightly wide duck feet. Like their feet are stuck in the position that their hockey skates are in. Okay. And so they kind of just walk super wide as they're going around. It's hilarious to watch them move in a pack. They have the specific like facial hair every oh, once in a like while. Stroll. Way too many of them have mullets. Yeah. yeah. Hey, whoa, it's... whoa, 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 whoa. Hang well, there is an Australian on the panel. You cannot besmirch <laughs> the mullet. Yes, I know. I'll have to. The World Mullet Championship is going on here in Australia at the moment, and there's an Englishman who looks like he might win it. Oh, my goodness. And Valtteri Bottas has been bullied into having a mullet by his Australian partner. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so, Christina, you're going to have to learn to be a bit more culturally sensitive to to Uncle Steve there. Uh, But, yeah, uh, definitely Lance Stroll with his facial hair. He is starting to look like the evil parallel universe, Lance Stroll. Just Just a little bit. All right, the season review. Oh, school really is out, isn't it, kids? Okay, but we're gonna we're gonna dive down into the season review, and it, it's good, Matt, because you know sometimes we get criticism for not focusing further down the grid or for not covering every single detail. But something we decided a long time ago for race reviews was we really wanted to watch the race and talk about what specifically grabbed our interest, not. A kind of, oh, now it's time to talk about Alfa Romeo just for the sake of it. And and it's hard to talk about teams like Alfa Romeo, which is our first odd-numbered team. Alfa Romeo finished ninth in the championship. But there's rarely been a reason to talk about them. Uh, there hasn't been. And it's because, really, they've been very anonymous. Um, I think, if I'm not uh, entirely off-base here, this is either the last year or next to last year of the Alfa Romeo sponsorship. I think it's the last year, yeah. 
So I think that is winding down. Uh, we talked about them a bit more at the beginning of 22 because the one clever thing they could have done, which is show up with a car that weighed exactly the maximum weight and not more, they did, and they got some good results and coasted on that. But they didn't really get away. They didn't have anything like that they could just pull out of the bag for this season. And honestly, they seem a bit like a shop that is sort of being mothballed in anticipation of 2026. It is that, isn't it? That is bad. Okay, so before we quite get to the, the misery of Alfa Romeo, and I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of great stuff to say. All right, what are we looking at as far as a, a season review goes, Matt? What's important to us? Well, I think what's things we like to talk about, how did the teammates do? How, how did the team do, you know, relative to last season and relative to their competitors? And what do we predict for them? Sort of what are we looking for going forward? Is there a silver lining? Is it all doom and gloom? Well, OK. And also we'll have a little look at how the, the drivers compared against each other as well. So I think then let, let's dig into Alfa Romeo. And I think this is the last season of, of them being Alfa Romeo. I think they're going to race next season as a Sauber. A Sauber. But Chris yeah. Stevens dropped us some some knowledge, didn't he, Matt? That you know, the, the the CEO of Alfa Romeo has been very happy with the with the partnership of Sauber. So you kind of assume that that's gone south or they're leaving because everything was terrible. It's the Audi thing. If I'm being honest, it's just the Audi thing. Audi is coming in. Obviously, if Audi is a sponsor, you don't you don't want Audi on your car if you're Alfa Romeo. That's, that's a bit of mm. that's a bit much, even for you know Formula One, where you do have the odd bedfellow or two. And um, I think they are off to greener Weck pastures uh, in search of a continued very excellent return on their on their dollar. I mean, and they were happy with it, but I don't really think they were bringing the amount of investment. Needed. And you could make the same argument for Haas, like we saw it uh, the year of Schumacher and Mazepin, where it's just like, literally, we're going to give you enough to sort of keep the lights on and keep our entry alive. Mm. But we're not spending any extra money on this because we're waiting for something else to come to fruition. And uh, the worry for me is on the Sauber side, if you were anyone with any kind of burning ambition whatsoever... That's not the place you're going to want to be. You're oh, going to want to yeah. move to some place that's looking to be competitive. So you might be losing some young, bright lights that you would really want in the future. I think I'm going to have this complaint when we do the even number teams next season with Haas. But there, there's a model here with the cost cap where it, there's no real incentive to overspend. And like the Alfa Romeo CEO was saying, we made multiples out of the, the deal than we spent on it. And I think all the teams down at the bottom, like even if you look at like Doralton as the owners of Williams, they're picking up enough prize money and enough sponsorship and enough kind of commercial stuff with say Logan Sargent that the maths doesn't really work out for them to go and really chase that final championship position. And I think with this cost cap franchise era, I think we might just end up with that bottom three in perpetuity going forward. Because why would they break the bank when you've got shareholders there going, no, we're quite happy making 30 million this year. Why, why would we push forward, Steve? And th this is the thing we've been scared about, which is the franchise model ruining competitiveness. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I can't see the point of 
if your team is now worth a billion dollars, uh, any investment company is sitting on a gold mine. Mm. So th- th- they don't really care whether they're coming first, second or third um, or unless they've got the best car in the world. And let's face it, you know, the bottom three teams don't have the best car in the world. Uh, so from an investment point of view, their directors are saying, okay, we won't do anything other than make certain we stay in the competition um, because, you know, we bought it for $160 yeah. million four years ago and now it's worth close to a billion. So yeah. from an investment point of view, we're doing the right thing for our shareholders. <laughs> and I think Haas will say the same thing, Matt, and that is really what Andretti are up against when they're trying to convince people to let them come in. You've got teams like Haas going, no, <laughs> we're making so much money. Yeah, well, but their money is unrealized money. Their team is worth that only if they sell it. And the less interested the wider world becomes in Formula One, the less that team is going to be worth. After all, a couple of years ago, it wasn't worth nearly that. A couple of years from now, I mean, you know, hello, crypto. It could also not be worth a whole lot depending upon how things go. You need to maintain interest and you need to maintain competitiveness. As far as the teams go, the the damage is to your sponsors. The lower down the ladder is, the less your sponsorship is worth to a title sponsor. So for a title sponsor looking for a bargain, it's a great deal. I can scoop I can mm. scoop a name, yeah. you know, I can share the name with Sauber and get like Whoa. exposure. But if you don't do well enough to ever be on TV and the only way you get known is because one of your drivers parades around in their absolute birthday suit all the time then oh i've then, got i've got then, a comment on that am i am, am i getting am i getting a return on this but despite that there's other things to talk about in terms of the performance between the drivers and their relative performance last year to this year and i'm sure we will get to that mostly because it involves numbers i think steve's got something else on the cash Yes, Matt, you're assuming that um, Zach Brown hasn't stolen all the sponsors. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that. There yeah, is that. He's that just too. taking everybody's sponsors. I mean, how do they fit them all on the car? Yeah. So who's who does... that little board that changes names? Remember, that's the one. I haven't yeah. seen that yet. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that reminds me of if you see cool ready, one. if you see Ready Player One, and they're talking about how much sponsorship they can fill your screen with, and they're like, we can fill eighty three percent of your vision without inducing seizure. That's the McLaren attitude towards <laughs> sponsorship. We're just going to flash. Who who does Stake? Stake um, is the sponsor they're of Australian. Alf- they're Australian. They? So Stake. Yeah, in Australian, they're a betting company. Right. An online betting company. See, they sponsor Alfa Romeo or have done this season. If Alfa Romeo was suddenly to become the number one team in F1, Stake wouldn't keep sponsoring them. They would then go and look for the team that was currently in eighth because they want, you know, they want that bargain. So uh, we'll turn to Christina Limes here. Because we're being quite negative, you're, you're an actress. Can yeah. you can you act as if there's some positives from Alfa Romeo season? I mean, if they get no attention, no one can really notice that True. nothing's happened for them. Yep. So they, what th- their tactic is like, to lie low. Yeah, lay low. And I mean, at the end of the day, they really just are a team that are kind of sitting there. They literally just are sitting there and doing nothing. They're not earning points. Their social media is decent but again yes most of it is botas showing off his butt or the one picture a week of joe entering the paddock looking very stylish but that's about it that's really the only screen time that they get and like going back to matt's point of they're going to start losing staff it has already started to happen their head of strategy ruth announced at the end of the season that 
yeah, she she's going on to do something else. So, you know, it's definitely a disadvantage for Sauber as a whole to a kind of let these be dead years when really they could be building gears. I'd seriously been hoping that this would be kind of a transition period of we know Audi is coming in. And so we're slowly going to have a gradual shift of power instead of a, you know, cold, hard deadline. But that doesn't seem to be happening. They seem to just be, we'll wait around for two years. Like, that is a choice, but you lose so much momentum because of that. And it puts you on such a back foot for when 2026 comes around. I think you might even actually be being generous that there's any ambition to push forward at all. We're not really seeing that because this team is, is Sauber. And then they've lent their name to Alfa Romeo in what has been a kind of a basically a change of livery and title sponsor status. And they're, they're really doing the same with Audi. I know a lot's being made of Audi entering F1, but I, I don't know if it's a huge amount different to what Alfa Romeo have been doing. So I think, Christina, you might be being even generous saying that in 2026 they would push forward. Versus Maybe. The- I mean, the difference being is that Audi actually is going to own 51% of the team. So they actually will have powers that Alfa right. Romeo didn't. Sure. And you would hope that with you have power, you, you know, with power grid comes great responsibility. You would hope that they would use it and would line. actually try to do something. I know, right? People <laughs> should put that on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. You hope that they would do something. And my other big thing with Sauber is that they also have a driver's academy. And those are people that it also feels like they're kind of just dropping the ball on. And that's also very disappointing from them. You have Teo Pulshire that literally just won F2 and you're kind of just leaving him in no man's land again. Like, just please do something. Do anything. Yeah, that's not an uncommon problem for F2 champions, to be fair. I've just looked on the Alfa Romeo Twitter page and looked for their most recent post. And even though this is a post from today, it is pre-race Joe Guan Yu entering the garage and speaking to Lance Stroll. Like, you're absolutely right. That is a lot of what their social media is. Uh, Steve, then, Matt. Um, my point was really had to do with um, uh, the lower-end teams getting, you know, absolutely no coverage at all. Is that why they crash so often? So that they make certain they get a little bit of coverage for their sponsors? Uh, <laughs> is that some kind of strategy? Well, what did we get? Uh, what did we hear from the ex-Lotus boss, Matt, who, used to, who said uh, they seriously considered at one point selling the sponsorship on the underside of Maldonado's car because he was flipped over often enough that you'd get some good exposure from that. But it it really is um, an outfit, Matt, that I think... if you, that I don't know many people who are like, oh, man, I am a, I'm a Sauber fan, which you used to get, you know, back when it was Sauber Sauber, but no one is following that team. It, so it feels like a... Inevitably, if you're, if you're essentially a customer team, a customer outfit, it feels a little bit soulless or is that is that too harsh no it's not too harsh uh, a lot of the love for alpha coming in is, is that they really did have like the beautiful livery but also it's worth remembering that as a team sauber and and that team even when they started out as alpha generated a lot of interesting innovation up and down they would have small things that would then get copied by other teams including the big teams when they started out and they sort of gradually dwindled down to this point. I do want to just briefly mention Audi is also supposed to be bringing a power unit to this car. So it is a huge difference to the kind of partnership we have seen with Alfa Romeo. Not rebadged Audi, like Tag Heuer, Red Bull powertrain style. No, Audi are building an F1 engine. How have I missed that? 
Um, I guess I didn't say it enough times earlier in this season. This is, <laughs> this has been the plan oh, all no. along that Audi is bringing, uh, um, bringing a Volkswagen powertrain. I mean, they'll call it Audi, of course. Don't but, uh, that email, was, that, don't, don't email me clips of Matt telling me this several times in the past. I don't need that. I don't need that. I won't remember anyway. Um, but in, in an effort, uh, the things that we can say that are good is that there were teams that had lots more DNFs than Alpha did. It was only three per driver. Um, they scored all of their points. I've decided this year, you know how we hate sprint races? Yep. Even though it's not, it's not, um, culturally acceptable to hate sprint races. Why not? I can hate whoever I want. Well, I thought about it and you know what? When it comes to assessing drivers and teams, I think you're kind of right. Because the sprint race, you don't really have to manage the tires. Your your car is super light. Reliability is almost not an issue because the race is too short. Qualifying matters more, but we know in the race, qualifying matters a lot less. Something that I'm working on. What, what, what are you working on? Uh, proving that qualifying doesn't matter anymore. I may not be mm. able to actually do it based on this season, but I thought I would take a look. And you know what? It's going to take me more time than I thought. This happens to me frequently, if I'm honest. Well, that's, that's interesting because I, I, I did say like a couple of years ago, it became clear that qualifying has never been less important in Formula yeah. One than it is now. But I, the counter in my head, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to you bringing a, a detailed analysis of why qualifying doesn't matter at all. But I think Lewis Hamilton is single-handedly proving how poor qualifying days can really affect your race because he's, he's had the car to be p2 in the championship and a lot of the time he's just got messed up in midfield battles that that car should never have been involved in yeah yeah so i i want to look at it um by comparing well i have many different thoughts but basically my idea was to look at where teammates started relative to each other and then where they finished oh, and good. to see if qualifying made a difference relative to teammates yeah and if it did then if where you qualified apart from your teammate made a difference, like, do you mm. always catch up to your teammate? Yeah. Even if it's five or six spots. And, and this will obviously to a certain amount be predicated on the car you're driving. Obviously you're driving a Red Bull. You're much more likely to get back up to the front of the grid, but then your teammate, that's a separate story. Anyway. Yeah. No, but, no, I think you're, I think you're right. In fact, the amount of times we've looked at, and again, I'll use Lewis Hamilton. You go, oh, it's a disastrous qualifying for Hamilton. And then you predict where he's going to finish and you kind of go, probably roughly where george russell is so yeah in in a way that has been a kind of a sad fact of um of the racing we've had this year okay i think finally on alfa romeo i think my main complaint if we're talking social media and i know you're more the expert on this christina than than these other two because it's on the internet which they've yet to catch up with is i i don't consent to have seen see have been seeing valtteri bottas's buttocks as much as I have been. It's it's just like I wake up in the morning, I get my coffee, I open up social media, and there is Valtteri's ass, and I'm never prepared for it. It's there. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> it undoubtedly exists. I feel like I've been extremely desensitized to butts just because I regularly wake up with Squeaks McGee's like bottom right there in my face. That's her cat. So it's, the butts don't give me a jump scare anymore. Right. As much as cat butt and human butt is slightly different. A butt is a butt, and once you see it, it's like in for a penny and for a pound. I will say, though, I think it'd be a smarter strategy to sell more calendars if he didn't give away the preview for free. That's like, good, yeah. Why would you let people see your butt as liberally as you are when you could just put the little peach emoji over it 
and be like, if you want to actually see the thing, you got to buy the calendar. Like that just makes a little bit more sense to me. Now, I know it's for a, a good cause, Matt, and it's awareness and raising funds for uh, prostate cancer prostate treatment. Prostate cancer. Yeah. Okay. And Leah, where, where there's three of us here that are getting very much towards that kind of age and that doctor's appointment. Well, I mean, I'm literally on right on the cusp of that and I'm not looking forward to it at all. Uh, so it's a great cause, but he lost me. There was a recent one where he was sitting on a school chair and so his butt's fully exposed like they are in all of them. But he, he turns around and it's the eye contact and he has this very sinister <laughs> eye contact and that's that's where he lost me. I was like, no, I am alarmed. Despite your good cause, I've had enough of Bottas's butt. Oh, sorry, I pressed the button too early. Uh, my friend Matthew here wants to talk about Valtteri Bottas's arse a bit more. No, I don't. Oh, okay. I want to talk about my fun made-up stats okay, that you okay, will okay, hate okay. Let's instead. do it, let's do it, let's do that. All right, so in an effort to be super kind, because we all know how brutal and awful the world of Formula One can be, in an effort to be super kind to the drivers, I decided to do the following thing. I decided to see how many points they scored on average for every race they finished. So if they DNF'd, regardless of the cause, I don't care. I said, how many points did they score for the races they finished? And I said, let's see how much they would have scored if they finished all the races, because only Max Verstappen finished every race this season. Everybody else had at least one DNF. And so for the Alpha drivers, turns out that our friend Botas would have scored 12 whole points instead of 10. And... Our friend Joe would have scored seven whole points instead of six. Right. And if we take that to the driver's championship, we find that poor Botas loses a place. Joe doesn't change at all. And then I thought, you know what? That's not really fun. What could make this fun? And then I realized I had this moment of inspiration. I said, everybody gives Perez such a hard time as a second driver. What if I made a Red Bull multiplier? So the highest scoring driver equals max's score and for uh alpha it's embarrassingly you got to multiply by like 53 to get there right. is that for and red then Bulls, i multiply this is that for red bull score that, or verstappen score that that's for botas to match verstappen score okay and then i multiply that by the second driver score and see how that relates to perez <laughs> okay all right go on then go on then what, what's the what's the verdict well, the verdict is Joe, uh, if, if, if he had had the Red Bull and scored the same relative amount of points to Botas, would have scored 318 points, which is slightly more than Perez's 285, <laughs> I'm afraid to tell you. So there wow. you go. So is this whole segment just going to be you giving Perez uh, uh, just a kicking relatively for every segment? I mean, mostly I think that's designed to upset me, if, if I'm honest. That's how I feel. I- no, no, actually, it, it actually it's very even handed. He only gets a kicking about half the time. OK, well, then it's fun for it's fun for everyone then. All right. Uh, <laughs> assuming then that we don't have an awful lot left for Alfa Romeo, I would just say ask, you know, what constitutes success for Sauber next season? So they have finished ninth here, Steve. What are they aiming for in 2024? I think they should just be aiming for ninth again. I don't think there's much chance of improving a lot. I don't think that... I I really don't. Um, I think that their game now is to hang on until 2026, you know, try not to embarrass themselves too much. Uh, Yeah. Well, they're not doing a lot of development that is going to make the car much different next year than this year. Well, at least we haven't seen any of it yet. 
been no hints of it. So if they could hang on and uh, at, at least not come last again next year, then that would be probably deemed a, you know, a reasonably successful year for them. So that, that is quite a bleak... You know, yeah, if you don't mm. come last, we'll be very, we'll be very, very happy with you, uh, uh, Christina. But for Bottas, it's kind of looking a bit terminal, isn't it? Like Joe is a, is an out and out pay driver who doesn't cause any trouble, which is all I want from our pay drivers. But but Bottas really should be wiping the floor with a driver like Joe Guanyu. Obviously, we haven't got a reference point. We haven't seen Joe go up against other drivers, but I think we want Bottas to be leading the way much more than he is currently absolutely Bottas, the with the record that he has there's really no good excuse for why he wouldn't be performing well i will say though it just feels like his lifestyle has switched <laughs> so much since he yeah. left mercedes and it honestly feels like you know he's just finding his joy and bliss and attention being spread to other things so it just wouldn't surprise me if this was him kind of getting ready to say goodbye to Formula One because he's enjoying doing other things more. And he has time in his life now that he could enjoy those other things more. You and ha- maybe maybe that's where it's headed. Maybe that's why he's just not doing as well, is he just does not care as much anymore. So he had his kind of, he had his, literally he had his shot at the title. So he had what other drivers dream of, which is a title winning car. And, and, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019 and 2020, he literally had his shot to go and win that title and he couldn't do it. So in a way, like that, that's a kind of busted flush. No top team is then going to pick him up. So yeah, maybe he's seen this as an extended paid retirement and he's having a bunch of fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what Matt's been doing on this show for the last three years. He's on his oh, way out. Yeah. yeah. 12 more till I get my pension and then it's all, <laughs> that, that good, gold, it's all downhill from that there. gold missed apex watch and then you're out of here. That's right. Um, no, I think both has scored about two thirds of the point. Joe scored one third of the points. And so I think he's, uh, that's actually pretty similar to the Verstappen Perez ratio. So I think, I think we'd like to ding Botas for doing worse. And there are other ways to look at this that I'm still investigating. But on the whole, based on points, you, you can't really doubt him too much. If I'm Botas, what I'm hoping is that a team like Williams or someone in that similar vein just needs a wily veteran for a couple of years, and I can move to a car that might be more competitive. And if I'm alpha, I, I think Steve nailed it. Look, Audi's coming in. Uh, they may or may not have a car revamp for next season, but your basic goal is to not do any worse than you did this year. They dropped three positions, I think, in the championship mm. from last year to this year. You don't want to be Haas in this situation. You still want to finish ahead of them and maybe be a bit more competitive if you can. And I'm sure that's probably their goal. And Sam Harper, our patron here, was the one who sent me uh, that comment, which I put to Christina. Sorry, I missed that out. Our patrons have given us great comments on uh, all the teams. Sam said, uh, Joe being about even with Bottas all year is is bad. And the team being tied with Alpine for being the most anonymous thing on the grid are the things that stand out for Sam. And Scott said... Uh, there was a highlight. The team randomly showed up with the third fastest car in qualifying in Hungary after being terrible all year. And then both drivers immediately were out of the points with terrible starts. Well, with that, let's move on to Williams. All right. So this might be a bit of a sensitive topic because I think we've got a couple of Williams fans here on the on the podcast. So myself and Steve and... Uh, a lot of people of your 
generation, Steve, are, are big Williams fans. And certainly, you know, for me, historically, uh, Nigel Mansell, Damon Hill, Coulthard, you know, a lot of my heroes growing up were, were, were Williams people. And it's, it's been very difficult to watch the continued slide and the post-Frank Williams kind of era. The Claire Williams era was, was really, really hard for Williams fans. And now we're sort of just starting to scramble around in the dirt looking for hope. Oh, yeah. When I first got into uh, Formula One, it was just a year or two before Alan Jones won his world championship in a Williams. And so I have been a Williams fan, you know, all the way through. And yes, you're right. The clear um, after um, uh, the, the clear Williams, mm. you know, era was not strong, and they've just slid right away ever since. To see them come back up and and be, get seventh in the uh, competition this year for the first time in six years, I think they got as high as seventh. 2016, I think they were seventh. Oh, oh no, yeah. they were fourth or fifth. Well, twenty fourteen, I, I think they didn't they finish second in the championship in twenty fourteen, something like that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to go um, and look that up in case I was lying. But they basically that was with the new hybrid engine, and if you didn't have a Mercedes engine, you were you were completely yeah, bored. No good at all. So and, to see them coming up this year has been wonderful. And the other thing that's made a difference, I think, is James Vowles. He he's you know turning into you know one of the best team principals. He's wow. articulate, well spoken, a good planner. Um, I think that he's going to lead that team to bigger and better things. Well, let's put James Vowles under the microscope then, because uh, you know you're 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 in the big chair now. He's a he's a celebrity. He's an F one team boss. And Brad D in our patron uh, Slack chat is a little Slack group that you get to join, and it's a nice place to hang out if you're a patron, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. I mean, you're listening to an F1 podcast during the winter season. There's no F1, so we must be fine and maybe worthy of looking at supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Brad D in the patron Slack group says, Vowles is doing well. Uh, He's he's, uh, looked to spend more money on ancient infrastructure to make his outfit more competitive and got the top team principles to show everyone and got the top team principals to show everyone how petulant they can be at the same time. So, Christina, James Vowles is now at the the top table of F1. How how do we rate his season so far? Ooh, I would give it I'd give it a solid eight out of ten. Like very good. No questions asked. The fact that he's communicating publicly is a genius move. Like that kind of transparency fans really appreciate, regardless of what he's saying, if it's true or not, if he's being completely honest, like I don't particularly care. They will tell us whatever narrative they feel suits them best. But just giving fans that feeling that they're in the inner circle is fantastic. That is a very smart move. As we said, he's very articulate. He just he kind of ticks all the boxes of what you hope a team principal is going to be, especially showing how compassionate he can be towards Logan, who isn't having a great season. And that's, it feels like he's on the same team as Logan, which you can't say the same thing for all team principals. Some team principals will throw their own drivers under the bus. And you're like, are you sure you're on the same team? Like, there's there's one thing to be said about, you know, putting responsibility on the person who did mess up. But for a team principal, it should never feel like they're fully throwing them underneath the double decker. <laughs> so great to see James doing all that. Definitely a couple growing pains that you would like to see improved on, like waiting until the end of season, till the season has finished to announce Logan. And no doubt that there were some things behind the scenes going on that prevented that announcement from happening sooner, but a bit more decisiveness 
towards decisions like that, I think would be very appreciative. But besides that, very happy to see how he's doing. In James Val's defense, it can take checks an awfully long time to clear. So he did have to yeah. delay the decision significantly. Uh, let's see. Vivek says uh, Williams properly returning to the midfield has been his Williams highlight. Hopefully they can improve further for 2024. However, that lack of infrastructure is a, mo- a millstone that will impede that. Uh, what, what, what's, what do you make of this, this whole infrastructure thing? Because if you want to be cynical, you could say, well, that for a new boss, that is quite a big thing to kind of go, yes, we're making all these improvements, but look at this one big thing here that isn't my fault. So yeah, he's kind of given himself a little fail safe with this infrastructure stuff or you know, how genuine is that? I come here to praise vowels, not bury him. That's to from, steal a quote from somewhere vaguely. That is from um, Monty Python. Uh, look, as far as the infrastructure goes, um, yeah, he's not wrong. A couple of years ago, they couldn't even run computer simulations. They had to manually input suspension parameters to run simulations. They didn't have it automated, and the servers weren't, uh, weren't efficient in their running of it. They've made huge strides. They're so, so far behind because for, you know, more than a decade now, there has been an underinvestment in that side of it. And that underinvestment occurred when there were no limits on what you could do, which is where we see the Mercedes and the Red Bulls and the Ferrari having these huge baked in advantages that, that we still hear them nattering on about from time to time. Secondly, I would like to say, I think jo- uh, Vowles did an excellent job taking what Yost Capito and his team had set up for Williams and bringing it forward successfully. They gained three places in the Constructors' Championship, and that's where the money is. They gained a lot of money with this. And they have Doralton saying that, no, no, we are fully on board. We are willing to spend the money to get them to that next step of competitiveness, which would really be sort of your Alpine Aston level we're talking about. They were far away from it this season, but some of what their car had, some of the characteristics of the car, particularly the car balance, imitated in a lot of ways the design decisions that Red Bull had made at the start of this aerodynamic regulations. If they figure out how to add the efficient downforce to it without losing what they have, without losing their way in correlation, then then there is a big scope for them to improve their performance mm-hmm. next season. I think you've also got to remember that um, one of the big improvements that Val's made when he first came in was not so much with machinery, you know, like um, simulators and new rigs, that sort of thing. It was apparently they had no software management systems that tracked the, the development of new parts um, you know, how long uh, before they arrived, oh, wow. all that sort of thing. Workflow. So his first, yeah, workflow mm. kind of software. So his big first expenditure was to, to uh, you know, get built a big software management uh, infrastructure, I suppose mm. it is, um, that was able to make the whole organisation run much more efficiently. I mean, that team had been let you know, bleed to death for many years. And so, yeah, I mean, it took a lot of transfusions to get it back up to some sort of speed. So I think what we all seem to be saying is William's fate seems to be rested on how good James Vowles is. Like when you talk about Williams, 
everyone is talking about. James Vowles, he's basically, he's the new broom that's swept clean. And a, a lot of that, as, as Christina says, is because he's a very, very good and calm orator. Like, he is like, I would like him to be, you know, at my, on my deathbed as, as my kind of, you know, nurse on the side, casually explaining to me why my body was about to fail me. But you do it in a calm way and you kind of go, oh, that's all right then, James. Sorry to have bothered you. So he's obviously a very good communicator. I feel really sorry for him with this Logan Sargent situation. So I'm going to offend the, the Americans, the North Americans for sure here. But I think that's the one situation that has kind of forced him to lie a little bit. And like a lot of team principals have to do, like Mike Crack has to do as well. So to my mind, and feel free to argue with me, Logan okay. Sargent. Okay, yeah, I know. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to struggle with that premise, if I'm honest. <laughs> so James Vowles is very much, no, he's a talented driver. I was wrong to reject him at Mercedes, he said, because I think he had a chance to, to hire Logan Sargent in a sim development driver role. Oh, but he didn't. But then he was like, oh, well, I was actually, I was wrong about that at Mercedes and, and Williams were right to take him on. And he's, he's a top talent. He's there on merit and he's a genuine salaried driver. That's what James Vowles says. But I can't help but think that there has to be a financial investment for keeping on someone who did as poorly as Logan Sargent did this season. They, they w- would not have kept on a pure talent hire after a season like that. And, and if that is the state F1 is in, that a driver with that season survives, you know, when, when they've got all that talent on the bench, you know, somebody tell me I'm wrong that he is there for financial reasons, that Williams are keeping Logan Sargent in that second seat because they think it will be the financially most beneficial thing. I reckon oh. it's his father that's paying for him, just like Lando Norris's father used to pay for him a few years but ago. But there's a denial, though, Steve. If you say well, Lando, Logan Sargent's a pay driver, people will yell at you on the internet. Well, they do anyway, so yeah, and they're true. wrong. They so do yell at fine. me anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Lance Stroll technically receives a salary. So he's Lance Stroll is a salary driver, but no one's going to argue with me that he's a buy-in pay driver, right? Christina, am I offending you as a... I know that he's nearly Canadian because he's on that side of the world. Salary allowance, like, call it what you want. It's like, Thank you. Pocket money. You know, it's... My big thing with Logan Sargent is that I could imagine Williams deciding that it's much more worth it for them to have a known factor, even if it is two rookie years, yeah. two bad rookie years in a row, than it is to take a risk on this new driver, another rookie, that they have a, a, an unknown. With Logan, at least they know what they're getting. At least it's somebody who's comfortable with the team. And the only thing that they have to stomach is some poor results. And with how Albon is pulling in so many points they have a bit of buffer space because especially all the other teams are that they're competing against aren't doing well either. They have room where they can take the hit that is Logan not having great results. And that risk might be worth it compared to this other rookie looks like he could be good. But again, they don't know. That's my guess. Well, it's not even a guess. It's a certainty. I- I'm pretty convinced from a while back Vowles simply wanted to keep Sargent. Sargent brings money to the team. He's a known quantity. Anyone they were going to get that, I mean, there are some very exciting up and coming racers, juniors on different teams. I think Williams will definitely have their eye on him, but let's consider for a moment the path of Logan Sargent. 
Logan Sargent, his first year in F2, or his first full year in F2, fighting for like fifth or sixth in the championship, is told by Williams, if you get enough points for a super license, you can come race for us. And then he goes on to do exactly that. So right off the bat, he's like, here's the goal, reach the goal. He reached the goal. However, unlike a lot of his compatriots who were also classed as rookies, Piastri in particular, he only got his day and a half or whatever of testing before he had to drive a Formula One car. He didn't get months of being coached in simulators. He didn't get to drive historical cars at all the tracks where he's racing that a lot of these other junior academy drivers did. He was literally thrown into the most deep of deep ends. And despite that, at least early on, he wasn't that far off of album. No one's going to forget his performance at, at Jeddah, where he was looked like he was headed to what, Q2, Q3, till he found that weird track limit that why is that even a track limit there? But whatever. Okay, fine. Rules are rules. And so now he finds himself in a situation where he's told, you have to prove to us you belong at Williams. And he clearly does enough, scores a point, comes close enough, shows clear improvement across the season. This is painful. I'm sorry, Matt, no, this is painful. No, no, no. no, no, no. You, you, I, mean, you, I mean, you are literally seeing someone who, and now here's where I will agree with you. He should never have been put in that Williams seat in the first place. He needed another year in Formula 2. And he needed, he needed the same kind of coaching these other rookies we've seen do well have had before he was put in that seat. But Matt. that's not his fault that he didn't okay. get it. The opportunity was there. But if I'm Williams, and Christina is absolutely right about this, there is no one out there who will come in for a year, bring as much money as Sargent does, and at least already know how to operate the car without mostly driving it into mm -hmm. walls. There is there. I mean, he's the most obvious solution to the problem they currently have along a number of facets, one of which is the fact that he's actually Wait, a okay. decent <laughs> driver. OK, I'm sorry. We can't base F1 driver picks on just being scared how it would work out with someone new okay it's not my marriage oh, i'm kidding love you uh, but like that can't be what we base f1 driver selection on and matt i'm sorry you've just damned him with the faintest of praise and this happens with these billionaire drivers all the time your long list of excuses for logan Sargent was he scored a point alban finished 13th in the championship then you go remember that one time when he was quite close to his teammate and then he got his lap times disqualified for breaking the rules so like the, the bar why is the bar so low for Lance it's Stroll not. and for Logan Sargent it's really not you have to take into account the context that the team sees the data the team sees that we don't but simply put the answer is a long-standing Formula One saw you can't teach quickness you can teach consistency clearly the team think that he has the quickness to be a partner to Albon next season. Beyond that, who knows? Because as you know, sometimes really good drivers come up. Sometimes it's, it's a crop of drivers that aren't the least bit inspiring. But what they do know, or what they've convinced themselves of, is that he's going to be, he, because he knows the car now, because he has experience of it, he will be a better fit, an easier fit, and less demanding fit than a brand new driver who has exactly zero experience in a Formula One car. And it's very likely in his second season, he will do better than in his first season. So did he set the world on fire? No. 
Did he do enough to be the obvious, logical, and easy choice? Yes. And is that the case oftentimes in Formula One? Well, yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, Perez is still at Red Bull, right? True. But okay, the the other thing I think that's important to remember is that 2024, three quarters of the contracts are up. And how appealing must it seem to Williams of, oh, well, why don't we just keep Logan another year? It'll be a buffer. And 2024, maybe we can snag someone with more experience. So this might also just be them playing the long game of we suffer this year. We're not going to break in another rookie. That would be silly. You know what? Sometimes no pain, no gain. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes you have to take the hit to win in the long term. It's not about the battle. It's about the war. Like, let's not forget, this is a long thing for Williams. They are trying to rebuild from a whole era of complete and utter, like, pile of flaming garbage nobody like, here it is... takes a while to put it out <laughs> so, so we, your defense for for that is that they're a tire fire that is is, is burning like no none of you are saying yeah. logan Sargent's the best choice for william williams he that well, logan no, Sargent is. is the talent he's, he's, he's obviously is. the best choice really they have a very specific <laughs> set of needs yeah yeah i, 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 agree, mean, I, mean, I agree with like, christina come on then steve let, let's let's have this discussion go ahead <laughs> I, I want to know, like, what do you mean by best then? He's cheapest, he's most experienced, and he's probably going to do the least amount of damage to the car next season relative to anyone else who would sit in that seat that they can actually afford to get. So, yes. like, what do you mean by best then? Well, well, no, that's exactly right. Williams have got enough to do uh, in rebuilding the team without having to, you know, try and bed in a, a totally new rookie. So it was a safe bet for them. Uh, to keep him there and they can concentrate on the other issues in terms of design and implementation of infrastructure to try and make them better next year. I think it's a reasonable choice. Do you know what? This conversation is just such a good reminder to me that I can be in a room with smart, intelligent, talented people who disagree with me and I can still be the one that's right. You know, it's a, it's a real thing that you have to kind of keep in mind just because all you smart folk... <laughs> Are defending this bonkers decision, like I have to be go. No, I can be right in the face of all of this. Who you, instead? You, Who would do better? Like a, like about Who? a dozen Who? drivers. Name okay. them, please. Okay, Name so them. I would rather have that rookie that you're talking about. So if I can get hold of a junior driver, right? If I can get hold of a junior driver, if I can get hold of Lawson, and I, I guarantee you that there was some kind of negotiation going on with with Lawson because yeah, he was being super cautious. Okay. I would say, if you're telling me, if you're literally telling me there isn't a more suitable driver for that second Williams seat than Logan Sargent. That they can who afford, has, because who has, that's part of the package. Who has caused nearly $5 million worth of damage over the course of the season and is likely to do so again next season. If you're really telling me that is the state of motor racing, where there's no one more suitable for the job, then motor racing is in a very, very sad state. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's call a duck a duck because Logan Sargent is quacking. Logan Sargent is a pay driver and as Christina says, it's an allowance. And I've noticed these trends with young drivers all up and down the series. None of them ever talk about their parents' money. They always talk about their sponsors. And guess who's behind their personal sponsors? That's right, their family and their parents. So follow the money. Logan Sargent is a pay driver. And I, I just I think you're all nuts going, well, let's just stick with him due to a lack of imagination. Let's wait another year instead of looking at the lineup of F2 drivers that are consigned to, no offence, Formula E. You could even go into Formula E and go and pull drivers out of there. Are you literally telling me, Matt, that you can't think of a dozen drivers who would be more suitable for, for that seat than Logan Sargent? And I didn't mean to rant, but I didn't realise you were all going to be this wrong. Uh, well, I mean, I know it's frustrating to discover you haven't thought through the problem correctly. <laughs> Nevertheless... <laughs> I hate you. Nevertheless, this is why I like Chris I mean, more. <laughs> I mean, you know, here I am being reasonable team principal. I know that with everyone's contract being up, and I know the rookies coming up, Vesti and uh, what's his name from Macau. Like, there's so many good drivers out there who aren't ready. They don't have the super license points. They're not ready to come to Formula One. So I've is got a year good? that I, ha I have to put somebody in my seat. Go to, go to Formula E. Well, look at what happened to Nick DeVries. That was a genius choice, wasn't it? Yeah, I could bring in a Formula E driver, but if it's someone who's really good in Formula E, are they going to will be willing to give up their seat in Formula E to come to Formula One for exactly one year before it kicked them out? And if they are, how much money am I going to have to pay them versus how much am I sure, absolutely positive, Sargent is bringing to the team? And last uh, and not least of which is just because they're a good driver doesn't mean they're going to be able to drive this car well. Logan Sargent has had a year of practice with this car, and he's gotten better over that year, according to every metric that Vals has said he looked at. The Does that mean so they didn't lying. want Lawson? No, I think they wanted Lawson. I think, I think what it came down to is they couldn't afford Lawson, which again gets back to your, where is it more important to spend the money on the driver, who's probably the least important factor, or the car, which is probably the most important factor. So again, if I'm Vals and I have to make that choice, bring in a cheap driver, even if they're a placeholder, who might do better next year than they did this year, and let's spend some money upgrading our computer systems and on engineering and stuff like that that will buy us actual lap time that will really matter, especially in the hands of Albon. In the long term, it's, you're dead right. Um, you know, Williams have got... <clears throat> a car, new car to build. They've also got 
all this infrastructure to repair. I totally agree. Leave him there. He's got one year. If he's still crap at the end of the year, then, you know, we'll get Jack Doohan in or get yeah. Lawson in. But, yes, give give the team another year to try and get the, the back-end stuff together before we worry about the second driver. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's delay that, that diet as well for, for another year. Let's just keep stuffing ourselves with cake and then we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll shift the belly fat in 2025, shall we? All right. And that's not even my biggest complaint with the, the driver lineup. So whilst I don't okay. think Logan Sargent should be the, in, the, in the second seat, because I don't think a team like Williams, an aspirational team, should be going for that, that pay driver role anyway. Oh, do we have Alex Albon fans here? Because actually maybe they need to be more ambitious with their number one driver. Like, Christina, I'm going to upset lots of people here, but I don't think we've seen any evidence that Alex Albon is like a top, top tier driver. He might be, but we haven't really seen that evidence. There could be way more to unlock in that uh, in that package, but Albon's looking really good against Logan Sargent. But, but again, it comes down to what Williams actually needs in their car. They need to prove that, for one, that they can be a good team and build a good car before they're going to attract top talent. And for two, they just need somebody who's going to help them develop the car. So it really doesn't come down to, is this driver the absolute best? It comes down to, what does Williams need? And at this point, Alex Albon is pretty much exactly what Williams needs. He has a personality. He has pets. And nobody can dislike somebody who has that many adorable, fluffy animals that run their own Instagram. Right. And that interact with Roscoe. Like, oh I'm sorry, God, no. but he he is marketing magic, yeah. which is what they need. They need to have a good public image. And he does that. And he brings in enough points compared to other teams that they're not dead last. He does what they need. And nothing else what, really what matters. A, what about developing that. the car? Is he any good at developing a car? I haven't heard anybody say that he's brilliant at it. So... I mean, that should be his first you know, yes. job at the moment as the team leader to develop that car. Is he any good at that? I would say so. From what I th- their car has been getting better. And part of that, yes, is going to be them improving infrastructure. But this next year will be very telling on if he can help improve a car because now they actually have James Valls that has had his year to get comfortable and get into place. They're starting to feel a lot more like a team. So I think this year is when we're actually going to be able to tell is if Alex Albon is worth his weight and whatever he's paid. I'll tell you how to fix that problem and make certain that he performs. (laughs) Kidnap his cats. Oh, my God. No, And tell him he only gets them back if he does a good job. This is normally where I go, Uncle Steve, can we make sure that gets edited out? But but your Uncle Steve, do you have been wildly irresponsible in endorsing catnapping? And I will have no oh my gosh. truck with that. So the full John Wick that will happen if anybody ever like goes after squeaks. I will make John Wick look like a PG thirteen film. Oh my gosh. I can't believe we've not had Squeaks McGee Christina's cat on this stream yet. Uh, James says surely outscoring your teammate by 2,700% is enough enough evidence. Look, maybe, but I I, I think this has been one of my major criticisms of of Williams through that kind of managed decline pre-Deralton that me and Steve were talking about earlier is, you know, perhaps Alex Albon was the driver, like Matt says, that was available and they could afford. But if they're going to push on, is Alex, if they ever got a title winning car, I don't know if Alex Albon is that, that top tier driver that they want. Uh, but this has been my concern with Williams. They really haven't had the out-and-out driver packages 
to show what that car can do. And that has to be a little bit demoralizing for, for the team. So like, look at George Russell's race pace now compared to Lewis Hamilton. And he was looking great against Kubica. But now we know that Russell doesn't have that ultimate Pirelli race pace of the, the top, top tier drivers unless he turns it around. But over the last two seasons, you watch their comparable sector times on comparable stints. And he's looked nowhere really on race pace compared to Hamilton, aside from the the very last race where he did look on pace. So that, that that's that's what I think, like, Matt, you know, we had arguments when it was Stroll and Sorokin there. And I was saying, yeah. I think that's potentially a Q2, Q3 car. But they were out of Q1, like week in, week out. And, and I think you're not going to argue with me now that other drivers wouldn't have got more out of it than Sorokin and Stroll. Uh, Sorokin and Stroll? No. We have seen evidence in other teams that makes it easy to make that determination. Albin, on the other hand, I'm not sure I agree with you about. I think, I think it's pretty impressive that he's taken a car like that and been able to score points with it, been able to get it up into Q2, into Q3. And honestly, if you just look at his racing around other drivers that you do rate, I don't think it's so easy to be dismissive of him. Well, I'm not being dismissive. I'm just saying we don't really know. I don't think we have any evidence. What what did what did uh, Albon do? He what? he was looked okay against Kvyat, and then obviously he went into the Red Bull second driver trap, and that's yeah. really all the evidence we've got. Him up against Logan Sargent is no measure of of how he is a, a, how good he is as a driver. Well, I mean, if we are going to argue Logan Sargent didn't give us much of a benchmark for Albon, well. You know, there's an argument you're always going to win because he didn't, quite frankly, because he's an out-and-out rookie. But I think if you look at his tire management in a car like the Williams, that I believe he has matured as a driver. If you look at his racecraft, I think he has matured as a driver. Yeah, I don't know. Put him in a Mercedes. Would he be faster than Russell? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Be interesting experiment to run, but it's not one that we can, unfortunately, run right now. But what we will see is what he brings to the car next season. By all accounts, the Williams was not the easiest car to drive. But frankly, the main reason you should be a giant Albon fan is that he will always reveal all sorts of telling technical details whenever they interview him post-race. Unlike most drivers, he will just say, he will just say things out loud with his whole chest. And you'd be like, whoa, did you just tell me that about your own car? Because wow. I'm glad I know that now. <laughs> the Russell fan in the Slack group is upset with me. Sorry, Maria. She said nowhere is a bit harsh on Russell race pace. I mean, we'll get to that with the, the Mercedes segment next week. But, you know, he finished P8. He finished P8 for, for a reason. And that, that reason is, is race pace. So we're not going to get through five teams, Matt. So <laughs> I think we're going to have one more team. So okay. we'll, we'll let Christina, uh, as, uh, as the newest mapper here... You can choose between Ferrari, Aston Martin, and Red Bull, Christina. Oh, pressure. Geez. There's a lot of pressure. Oh, jeez. You're much shaping wanna... the path of Missed Apex this here. This is so much power. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, do you Let's wanna... go Ferrari. Let's do Ferrari. Let's do Ferrari. <laughs> okay, good. That was next on my list, and it involves a lot less scrolling uh well well thank you for choosing that christina but we should also we should introduce people to you properly as well christina lee mace uh, you create some very direct and uh intellectual i would say and clear and concise tiktok videos and i don't think it's unfair to say you kind of aimed it 
at uh, newer F1 fans. It's kind of a, a very explanatory to- uh, tone, and we can all uh, trust Auntie Christina on her F1 knowledge. That is the goal. It's to, to curate information so it's not overwhelming and very accessible. So accessible. That's what. Fun. Yeah. And I do like that. It's, uh, you know, it's not a wasted word. There's a lot of content creators now, especially when you go on the scrolling apps and they've spent half an hour telling you like, hi, it's Derek here. Oh, it's a bit chilly. That's why I've got my coat. No, it's straight to the, the point and uh, you can have information fired <laughs> at you from Christina's brain. Uh, how do we follow that account? On TikTok, I'm Christina.FastCars, and everywhere else, Christina Lee Mace. There'll be links in the show notes below. Go and follow Christina. Right, you picked Ferrari, so this is this is your fault. Uh, success or failure <laughs> for, for Ferrari? Oh, everything's a failure for Ferrari. That's their brand. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. that's being definitely a little harsh, but I feel like that's just the gut feeling that you get when you look at the team. I know that they're doing better in some ways, than they have in the past, but they're they're also not they're just not doing anything to instill any confidence in me as a fan, which makes it very difficult for me to cheer for them. Yeah. Like if they're not confident in what they're doing, how on earth am I supposed to feel confident in what they're doing when all of Charles's radio messages are just like, I'm sorry, but but play that for a therapist and tell me that you don't need help. It's that's that's kind of just where I'm feeling with Ferrari is that's savage. I want more from them. <laughs> that's savage, but you're right because the the sad Leclerc like, radio messages and just all the pictures. Sad, every time there's angry. A, yeah, anytime there's a camera pointed at him, you just feel this kind of it's just hello darkness, my old friend. Just on a loop every time we see Leclerc. Um, I will say Sky Sports did a tweet saying describe Ferrari's season in one word, and my my response to that was simply Ferrari because Steve. Ferrari have just built this reputation of, I don't know, it's almost like snatching uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory just over and over again on a loop. Well, you got, it was 22 years, I think, between the late 1970s um, up to around about 2000, um, in between Ferrari's championship wins, and they won almost no races during that period, and then they had the Michael Schumacher uh, Schumacher period, um, and then after that, they've had another long stretch of not a lot of success. Anybody who's a Ferrari fan would should be used to the fact that they're nowheresville ninety nine percent of the time. Um, I can't see that it's any different now. The, the team has still in, got the same kind of mentality about it. When they win, it's a huge celebration because it comes so few and far between. All right. I knew I made up all these numbers for a reason. And here we go, go, sports fans. Here we go. So if I look, and when I looked, and this genuinely surprised me, because I did, I split off the sprint points, because like I said, sprints aren't real GP racing, so we don't care about them. Get in the Um, bin, sprint races. Did not change the order between Leclerc and Sainz. So then I did the next thing, which is I said, well, let's figure out how many points they made every time they finished a race. And what I discovered was that if they had finished all the races, Leclerc would have scored 239 points and Sainz would have scored 206. Again, not including the sprints. And that change, if I applied to all the teams and drivers, would have seen Leclerc finish second, uh, Ferrari finish second in the championship with over 400 points. 
Leclerc move up to third overall, displacing Hamilton, and Sainz move up to fifth overall, both of them gaining two places. So if there was a real problem for Ferrari, it was with the DNFs. And interestingly, they had a real issue, and I forgot to mention for the Alfa Romeo, and I bring it up now, is they had a new team principal this year. And they stole yep. that team principal from Alfa Romeo. Yeah. So that might also go a certain distance to explaining the total lack of uh, focus <laughs> of the Sauber team. But Fred Vasseur seems like nice and he seems calm, which is probably what Ferrari mm-hmm. needs. Because when you listen to their radio messages, it doesn't ooze, we got this, does it? There's not a we got this vibe in general when you're listening to the team radio. But, you know, it's a very much a we're figuring it out as we go along kind of vibe, right? Yeah, but but Fred, old Freddie, if I can call him Fred, uh, I, I like how angry he got uh, after the Las Vegas uh, free practice where that, that journalist kept trying to ask him, yeah, but apart from your car being completely destroyed by incompetence of the facilities, like it's great, like the flashing lights are brilliant, aren't they, Fred? Please, no, I'm upset. But what about the sphere, Fred? And like he was so close to like picking up a sofa and just throwing it at the at the journalist. So that while he won't have been able to have had an immediate impact, the 2022 Ferrari isn't sorry, the 2023 Ferrari isn't as Ferrari as the 2022 Ferrari team. If that makes if I've used Ferrari as a verb mm-hmm. too much, let me know. But I think bizarrely, I think everyone will know what I mean. No, I think they will. But the, the, the thing with the Ferrari that is most interesting to me as a car is that they really struggled with the rear of the car. It snapped early season so badly that they eventually went along with Carlos Sainz and, and essentially permanently dialed understeer in there to keep that from happening. But that really, that disadvantaged Leclerc as a driver. And when they got to Japan, they had brought the new floor and the new floor really to a large extent solved that issue his points per start went up by three did leclerc and he pretty much beat the pants off signs from the new floor to the end of the season drain covers accepted but what i also want to mention and the other even more minor thing is coming out of i can't remember the race but but they have always struggle with their tires and you can see it because they score more points in the sprint relatively speaking than they do in in the grand prix because they lose out on tire degradation but they said oh you know we had a thought about our hybrid deployment map and we've changed it for the exit of corners and we think we've improved our tire management and since then they actually really have so if i mean i know it's a joke if you're a ferrari fan there's always hope on the horizon but they've made several very concrete and correlated steps that you can observe in their point scoring and overall performance in races this season. That That is a good sign, I think, for the team. I think they did better than people realize. It was just they had these early season struggles technically, which is not surprising with the new staff coming in and everything like that. But the fact they were able to get on top of it Surprised me. I was not thinking that was going to happen, but they did. So, yeah, I mean, Ferrari is definitely one of those teams that could do something next season. I mean, that's reflected in the fact that they took six poles this year, five of which came after the summer break. And, And the other thing you've got to also say about Ferrari is 
It's the first time since 2011 that they only won one race in the season. Um, all of their performance came at the end of the year. I mean, that was partly uh, the car development. I think it was also partly um, the strategy team started to get their stuff together. Um, and I think that, you know, that's probably Fred's influence. He's, you know, was there for the first half of the season. And I think he said when he first came in, I'm going to spend the first month just looking and observing and seeing what needs to be done. And he's the sort of person that goes about, you know, his management fairly quietly. Um, and, and it took quite a long time to start to get his influence in. So uh, they certainly did better at the end of the year than they did early in the year. And maybe that will uh, be reflected mm-hmm. next year. I guess we have to wait and see. I, I, I do like Matt talking about the, the hope of Ferrari fans. And as someone who's always seen Ferrari as a deadly, deadly rival, and, but I will say deadly, deadly rival, but the Ferrari fan base, I think, is one of the best fan bases out there. Actually, one of the least toxic fan bases, mostly because they've just had their souls beaten with a heavy rug. Um, but I, even though I like them, I have a lot of respect for the Ferrari fan base. Their little faces at the beginning of every season before testing, when there's a hope that they might not Ferrari as hard as they Ferrari in previous seasons. That is one of the highlights of my year. Please, please, Ferrari, by all means, look quite good in testing. Get their little hopes up. But the one question that Ferrari makes it harder to answer than other teams is which driver is better in that lineup. Because I don't know, Christina, there's not been a lot to pick between those two drivers. I would have I would have said a couple of years ago, Leclerc's gonna wipe the floor with signs. And I don't it just hasn't happened. My big thing, and I've said this so many times, I'm kinda of tired of saying it, but I think we all know that Leclerc, he has better racecraft. Like straight up, that has that has always been his stronger point. Just pure skill. He's come in with a lot of talent. And that's what carried him throughout his junior career, all the way up to getting into Formula One and being put in that Ferrari team his second year on the grid. But the result of that is he hasn't had to develop all of those auxiliary skills that can also make you very good as a driver, that can make you very talented. He has always been with a good team or a decent enough team, whether that was in his junior years and then now, you know, Ferrari is what it is, but it is technically a top three team. So he hasn't had to push for his own strategies. He hasn't necessarily had to push as hard to make changes to a car that he wants. Whereas someone like Carlos Sainz, where he's developed all of these other skills, like pushing for his own strategy and being very vocal about what he wants. And now in these moments, that is what's making a very big difference is that all of those other skills, Carlos has them and knows when to deploy them. So he's very much an I'm going to wait for the opportunity and know when to jump through it type of driver. And that's it's making a big difference this year now. So like science politicking basically shows like a Mm -hmm. lot of strength of character that that stop inventing, which I talk about a lot. The you know, that was because they the team was trying to manipulate a driver swap. And he was trying to tell yeah. them, you know, not to do that and to literally go on the radio and say, stop inventing, stop making things up. That's not real. And you have to imagine that he take if he does that in public, you have to imagine that he takes that to the garage. So, you know, he- Carlos mm-hmm. Sainz really has stood up for himself in Ferrari because he easily could have got vetted out the door. Exactly. He is somebody who's going to advocate for himself. He's going to make those career decisions that make sense for him. He's a very 
calculated thinking driver. And that's something that until Leclerc does that, he's not going to be in a championship fight. If he's just along for the ride with whatever the team wants and can't self-advocate, the moment that his race goes slightly sideways, he's not going to have much, like he's not Mm. just going to have anywhere to go. Right. So Matt, this has been uh, something we've argued about for years. I think Carlos Sainz, I've always thought, you know, not so much of him. You've always been a big Carlos Sainz fan. Uh, I definitely would see myself as someone who who wishes well on Charles Leclerc. But yeah, I've been a little bit disappointed that that gap hasn't been wider. And, and you have to wonder now, because they're both in contract negotiations. They both seem to be talking to other teams and also making noises about new contracts. I think it's probably going to be Leclerc and Sainz for a while, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, ask yourself who would go where. Where could Leclerc go? better than Ferrari, where he will be at worst second or third in the constructors and have a car that will occasionally at least win races. And the same would be true for Sainz. Where where would he really, I mean, Mercedes? Well, when Hamilton retires, maybe that's a discussion they have. But for right now, drivers always talk to yeah. other teams and they do that so that the team they're on knows that other people want them. This is just classic business negotiations 101. But the fact of the matter is, if you look at the points scored and you look at the percentages of the points scored just in the races now, because again, we've agreed we're not going to consider the sprint races at all. There is only one team, I think, that is closer than the teammates of Ferrari. And what I think that really shows you is Ferrari have a very well complemented pair of drivers. Sainz isn't the driver Leclerc is in a lot of ways. But the driver he is fits very well with Leclerc. And together, they make a really, really good team. Had they managed to finish those races that they couldn't finish and score the same points that they scored when they did finish the races, well, like I said, it would be a different story for them in in the championship. The only thing that was untouchable this year was Red Bull. And for that, uh, we just have to wait and see what everybody shows up with next season. So if it's a title fight, Steve, though... Which one of those drivers ends up on top? I, I still uh, think it's Leclerc edging it. Oh, I think it's probably Signs that would end up Ooh. on top. And I have a question. Yeah, I think Signs is a has more of a killer instinct that you know a real top driver needs. Um, and uh, my a question is: perhaps Audi in twenty twenty six a viable position for either one of them? Because if I was Audi, I'd be looking for a top line driver to come in to yeah. lead the team from then on. Audi have a long, successful history in all forms of motorsport. I mean, they might might not you know be contending for the championship in twenty twenty six itself, but I'll guarantee that you know twenty twenty seven and on they'll be up there pushing that's very really, hard. That's really optimistic. Okay, so look, this is a, a fun little diversion. So let's go down you know that route. Let's say you're Leclerc or Science, and you're like, no, this is it. What's my chance? Because Ferrari are going to keep Ferrariing. You know, where is my chance? Where do I go? I, I think that's massively optimistic, Steve. With with Audi. I'm really not expecting them to do anything different to what Alfa Romeo have done, but it would be fun to see another team in with the mix with, you know, the likes of McLaren and Alpine. But I, th- I think that the two teams where you might look at and go, well, maybe there's a chance is uh, a post-stroll Aston Martin. You know, if they're a team that's genuinely on the up, which they, they look to be, and uh, I know we're not going to have time to get to Aston Martin, but uh, if you look at the statistics on the points and you double 
Alonso score, there was actually a lot more potential in that car than it than it even appeared at the beginning of the season. So you might go, okay, once the strolls get bored and go, I'll, I'll take the a technical part. directive. Until I know, well, we're going to cover that next week. So basically, <laughs> we, we've we, we've put this off to next week. We'll get sued by Aston Martin next week when we talk about the technical directive. So there's that, and then the other one is is that perennial hope of the Alpine. You know, Alpine in three years. Yeah, it's that it's that ever it's like an everlasting gobstopper, the the Alpine promise. Alpine are the only team that can out Ferrari Ferrari. They Alpine do Alpine quite hard, don't they? But it's but they they have all the ingredients to push on. At, at, Except for an engine. At some point a driver is going to be correct. Cuz cuz they've I'll, had I'll, the yeah. ingredients for 10 years to push on and they yeah. haven't managed. So cuz Alonso took the gamble, yeah. didn't he? He he was seduced yeah. by that. Daniel Ricardo took his 40 million a year or whatever for that contract. Like this same conversation we're having, lots of good drivers have made that looked around and gone, "Yes, Renault Alpine, that's the gamble. That's the the Hamilton Mercedes move that every driver is is looking for." At some point, one of them's going to be right. But if you out and out say which team has the potential to at some point go bang and and join the top three, it's McLaren or, or Alpine, realistically, isn't it? Yeah. I'd say Aston Martin or, yeah. or uh, McLaren. I don't yeah, I, yeah. look. I'll get shot down for this, but Alpine's a French team. I know lots of French. Oh, oh no. they'll, ne- they'll never be successful in the next oh, ten my years. God. Steve, can we edit that out? Oh no, it's Steve again. It's Steve who's done that again. Um, so, but Alpine do have a disadvantage. Uh, well, no, they're, they're they're located in in near Silverstone, aren't they? So, oh, they're, well, they're UK part based. of them is the other parts in Viry in France. You know, to start mm-hmm. with, that's a huge problem. D- disadvantage for staff. Yeah. Mm. Alpine is frustrating. But Renault is even more frustrating because despite their overt pronouncements from corporate, what you hear from people who've left the team, uh, I think particularly Pat Fry perhaps, although if I'm misattributing this, I do apologize, is that uh, they said the words, but they weren't really serious about the words. So they would say, yes, 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 we're committed to that. But when you went to them and said, we need X to do the thing that you said you wanted us to do, they'd be like, well, yeah, but we don't really want to do that. We don't really want to spend that money after all. So just make do and and it's all going to be fine until they fire you because someone else said they could do it better for cheaper. I... And, 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 you know, like here we are talking about Alvin. We don't want it. It's not who we're talking about. We're yes, talking about I know. Ferrari. Okay. Uh, no, I like the little diversion of what team would you go to if you wanted to but, jump ship from Ferrari. Yeah, and I think Alpine Aldi, is not no, an unreasonable no. choice to go and try and make Alpine your own as a driver. Alpine, if they ever commit the resources, I, I think if you account for the r- reported horsepower loss of their engine, as I bothered to do at one point, go through and calculate it, they pretty much did what they said they were going to do. What let them down was the engine is weak compared to all the other engines, which despite being frozen, somehow managed to gain all this horsepower. And this is a trick that R- Renault as a power plant has missed multiple times over the years. Mm, yeah. I don't know. If and, you're if you're Leclerc, just, yeah. if you're Leclerc and you're looking for your next career step, and and they offer you Ocon seat, you take that, you wipe the no. floor with Gasly, you you look great, and you have a chance of a manufacturer team pushing towards the top. The other thing you do is you go to McLaren and you beat Norris because then you look McLaren like McLaren has a better chance, if you ask me. 
No, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. McLaren ha- has a better chance. Aston is the most interesting choice going to 26 because they have a new power unit coming in and they're going to be a works team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. We definitely did I make did that, that up? A- did I make that up? I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah. Possibly the internet may or may not be true. What? They have just signed a new engine deal with the uh, Mercedes though. On that was McLaren. Oh, right. sorry. Not Aston. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Have you just made that up? Is that no, breaking news? Honda's going to Aston Martin. Yeah, that's, yeah, what that's I right. Well, right. That's what I thought. Again, too. I've missed out. I've got to stop just not listening to Matt. That's clearly, that's clearly what you've definitely told me that before. <laughs> so I remember that. Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, we're still on, on Ferrari then. And I think that, Steve, you, you, I think essentially your point is correct, which is they've got those two drivers because both those drivers will think in their head that they're in the best position to to potentially fight for a, for a championship. But actually, I, I think for both of them, Steve, it's hard because you've got a team that is underperforming. Even when they've got a car to challenge, they seem to do their best to to not quite get things right operationally. And then even if the team did get everything right, they both have a very good driver to go up against. So they really have to find themselves in a situation where they have a car that's head and shoulders beyond Red Bull and Mercedes and the rest of the field so that the two of them can fight it out. Because I think any kind of close battle, and they're just taking points off each other. Sure, and that's why signs will come out on top. You know, in a dogfight, I'll take signs any day. He's harder. Leclerc is... Uh, fragile? Has, is, that, is that too... He doesn't... Yes, he's mentally fragile. If things don't go exactly the way that they should for him... Uh, I think that uh, he kind of gives up the ghost a little bit. So Signs is, you know, if I was hiring, I'd be going after Signs, not after Leclerc. I think he's a bit overrated. He was great in the junior. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mm. He was great in the junior categories. So tell me how great he's been since he's been at Ferrari. All right. Um, so I, if you email feedback at mistapex.net and do the subject line, shut up, Steve. You don't know what you're talking about. Leave Leclerc clerk alone. He's brilliant. If you use that subject line, I'll forward those on to Steve. Yeah, thanks. I'd, I'd be interested in looking at those. <laughs> um, is that, Christina, is that harsh with the sake? He does come across sometimes as as like a little fragile, but, you know, he like Lewis Hamilton. He wears his heart on his face, doesn't he? Like you can see mm-hmm. what he's feeling. Absolutely, he's he's not shy about making it obvious when he's happy or when he's not, and that's perfectly fine. But the big advantage that Ferrari have, and that I wish that they would take advantage of, is that they have two drivers that yes have different strengths and different weaknesses, which means that different championship fights they're going to be able to throw their weight behind a different driver and they have to be willing to do that. And they're not right now. Right now, they've made it so clear that they're always going to prioritize Leclerc, whether that is the thing to do that makes sense or not. There are some races where it will make sense to prioritize science. Leclerc is so unlucky, regardless of, of why it is, but he has bad luck enough times that science was ahead in the championship for a good chunk of Mm. the year and yet they still were not prioritizing him to go and get more points and if a championship battle comes about where you need somebody who's going to be jumping at every single opportunity and who's going to go for those moments of key strategy and thinking because that's what that's how science won his two races is he outthought the other teams he was smart about it and if Ferrari aren't willing to put their weight behind him when it counts, they're go- they're going to screw themselves out of a lot of opportunities. 
that's their big mistake is they have two drivers that under the right circumstances could both be exceptional and they're not willing to shift where they prioritize. And it does feel like Leclerc is like the chosen one at the moment. They do kind of seem to have always that driver that is the Ferrari team. And at the moment it is Leclerc, but Sainz is way, way closer and sometimes even ahead than the likes of, you know, Massa, Barrichello, Raikkonen. And I would say just look at a race like Singapore, where to my memory, they they more or less use Leclerc like a chess piece (laughs) to help delay (sighs) the advancing drivers. They seem to be more willing to take whatever drivers behind and put them on a weird or alternate strategy if they think it will help the driver farthest ahead in the actual race, which I think is an improvement from years ago Mm -hmm. where they just had a driver that they would move you around till that driver was ahead of you, regardless of how you were actually driving at that particular point in the race. So, uh, so you know, progress. But it's interesting. Um, I, I, I like Christina's observation quite a bit that they're going to have to figure out who is up for the fight because so far it's not been an issue because no one has had a real car to beat Red Bull with. When the team finally shows up with a car to potentially beat Red Bull, we're going to get a lot of questions answered very if, rapidly if, i if, suspect if. yeah but you're right ferrari have often gone quite lord Farquhar about it haven't they some yeah. of you may die but it's a sacrifice i'm willing to make uh, yeah they but i like that kind of strategy element with ferrari uh, i really do so it, as we were doing the alfa romeo section i was looking at the clock going yeah we're not getting through five teams so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna call it quit there and our quits there and our two-parter season review has magically become a, a three-parter. But for Ferrari, i just end on some of the patron comments here. Um, Phil points <laughs> out Leclerc's overtake on Perez at Vegas. And I think that's what you're talking about there, uh, Christina, with some of that pure just wheel-to-wheel skill. Th- that's where Leclerc seems to really have the edge over signs. Um, uh, Tiro says the strategy department uh, being being run from the second car cockpit is his highlight. So again, absolutely correct that that is... Signs does seem to just have that strategic brain and it really shows through. And Tim Rudd says his highlight is Vassour possibly being the no BS team principal that could turn Ferrari around? Big question mark there. So let's see. Go and follow my panel on the social medias. Click the link below to follow Christina and check out her, her TikToks. And I don't know, maybe keep an eye out to see if she ends up hosting some kind of motorsport podcast in the near future who knows go and follow uncle steve by going to his house steve lives on uh, 188 acacia avenue and when he eats a banana he turns into banana man that's no. the one right okay i got that right you, you're still you you you're anonymous you're a lurker on social media steve um yes i'm not on any of them and nor do i want to be but you can still send him abuse, don't worry. So feedback at MrApex.net, specifically for all the Leclerc stuff he said. And, 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 and why not just feedback at MrApex.net to tell them all how wrong they were about all the Williams stuff? Follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter, and you were going to promote some show or other, Matt. Yes, the New York City Scott Orchestra is playing at Shapeshifter Lab. 873 Union Street in good old Park Slope, Brooklyn. So if you're a Mr. Apex fan who also likes music, Come by and say hi. We'd love to see you there. I'd appreciate it. Oh, and uh, speaking of Steve's stuff, uh, click uh, the link for the iRacing Season 7 final, uh, where we do iRacing in single-seaters. It was the final. Uh, Chris Stevens and Chris Capman-Turner 
are on commentary. Steve does a beautiful, beautiful sim racing broadcast. And, you know, the likes of me, Matt, Kyle, uh, Alex, all have raced throughout the season in that up against uh, some listeners as well. So that's all been great fun. Go and check out Mist Apex Motorsport on YouTube. Uh, you can follow the show on TikTok and YouTube Shorts. We are getting in there on the vertical video game. So if you're a fan of those platforms, uh, go and check us out. Just search for Mist Apex Podcast everywhere. But we will stick some links in the show notes as well. And follow me. I'm the best one. At Spanners Ready or be my friend on Facebook. Look for Richard Ready there or Spanners Ready on Instagram. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.